So yeah, we're continuing Daniel this week. Just to recap where we've been, um, we've seen Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego sticking to their diet, sticking to their faith. We've seen Daniel interpreting dreams for the king. Um, we've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego surviving the fiery furnace. Um, we've seen Daniel interpreting yet another dream for the king. Um, and this week, we're going to look at the writing on the wall and Daniel's interpretation of that. So you may have heard writing on the wall before. It's kind of like an idiom in our culture now. Uh, it basically just means a sign that something bad is going to happen. And so um, we'll see if there's a little more depth to that in the story today. Um, but this is like kind of throughout our culture. My favorite band, Under Oath, has a song called Writing on the Wall. Sam Smith wrote a song called Writing on the Wall for a James Bond movie. Destiny's Child has a Writing on the Wall album. Um, Harry Potter, Chamber of Secrets, right? We've got the writing on the wall when that was open. Like, it's just, it, this is like in our culture. So it's, it's known what writing on the wall is, um, but the behind the scenes, the meaning um, we'll get to today. So it's a lot of scripture. I'm definitely not reading everything that's in your bulletin right now, um, but we're going to work through all of it. If you would stand, we're going to read verses 1 through 12 now and then kind of work through it as we go. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a, for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar gave orders to bring in the gold and silver vessels that his predecessor Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, wives and concubines, could drink from them. So they brought in the gold vessels and had, that had been taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, wives, and concubines drank from them. They drank the wine and praised their gods, made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. That moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the king's palace wall next to the lampstand. As the king watched the hand that was writing, his face turned pale, and his thoughts so terrified that he soiled himself, and his knees knocked together. The king shouted to bring in the mediums, the Chaldeans, and diviners. He said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this inscription and gives me its interpretation will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around his neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So all the king's wise men came in, but none could read the inscription or make its interpretation known to him. Then King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face turned pale and his nobles were bewildered. Because of the outcry of the king and his nobles, the queen came to the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't let your thoughts terrify you, or your face be pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has a spirit of holy gods in him. In the days of your predecessor, he was found to have insight, intelligence, and wisdom of the gods. Your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, appointed him chief of the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans, and diviners. Your own predecessor, the king, did this because Daniel, the one the king named Belshazzar, Belshazzar, was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all can have a seat. I'm going to pray, and then we'll get started. Jesus, I thank you for... Uh, the opportunity to speak, to share your word this morning. I pray you would calm my nerves. I pray you would 
speak through me, that my words would be overridden with your word, um, and that everyone here um, would receive what you have for them, that we would take this message um, and live the life that you've called us to live. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so just a little bit of background. Um, we've got a new king now, so um, Nebuchadnezzar's been the king for the past ch- couple chapters, so t- some time has passed. There's a new king who's co-ruling with his father, um, who's probably the Nebuchadnezzar from uh, the last chapter. There's some uncertainty there, but we're not going to get into that. Um, so in this text that we just read, his dad's away, probably campaigning somewhere. Um, so Belshazzar is throwing a party, and he, all the people are coming. They're just drinking it up. They're probably drunk. Um, we don't know, but it says they're under the influence, so we're going to assume that's what that means. Um, and, it, and he calls for them to bring out the sacred vessels. So these are the vessels that we learned about from chapter 1. Um, that they inherited. This is like the fine china, but to a more extreme. Um, and so they, they use these vessels that they've received from Jerusalem to worship their own idol gods. Um, and so it, it's a slight to the Jewish people and a slight to God himself um, for them to do that. So I, I'm trying to think of like what, how this would relate to us. I don't know what the sacred vessel would be at your house, um, what you grew up with, maybe it was your dad's car or his chair or like in my house, the remote. Um, so obviously there's some different weightiness here between uh, the sacred vessels and a remote, but that's kind of how I re- related to this was dad's gone, I'm going to mess with all the stuff that I'm not supposed to. <clears throat> and so they're having their party and what, what is going on here? Like an actual hand starts writing on the wall, right? That's, it says, that's what it says. A hand is writing something on the wall. And the king is terrified. Like, that would scare me if a hand just like appeared and started writing on the wall. Like, that is scary stuff. So they're, they are freaking out. Um, he pees his pants. He's trembling. His knees are knocking. Um, I don't know if you guys have had an experience like that, but like that, the dude is super scared. So... Um, he calls everyone in, all his trusted advisors, his wise men, um, and he promises basically the best reward he can for anyone to interpret it. So he says third in command, that's essentially right under him. So it's his dad, him, they would be the next person in control, and just have endless, you know, or not endless, but great reward for, for doing this. So he calls them all in, and none of them could do it. So no one could interpret what was on the wall. So he's even more freaked out. So he was already super freaked out, but no one knows what's going on. And so in my mind, I'm trying to think, like, what is this? So they're having, like, this rager party. Someone's doing a party trick. Like, it's, like, freaking out. And he's like, hey, guys, what, what is this? And they're like, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. So nobody knows what's going on. No one he trusts, all his wise men. They can't explain it. So he's just freaking out. The whole group is freaking out. And th- so much so that the queen comes in, and ironically, she's like super cool. She just comes in, kind of like coasts in, um, which makes sense. Like I think of my mom just gonna, you know, if there's something crazy coming on, she's fine. Like we're gonna take, we're gonna take care of it. Um, <clears throat> so the queen comes in, 
probably his mother, maybe his grandmother, um, not his actual wife, so it's kind of like the mother queen. Um, and she has hope. And so it makes sense if she is his mother or grandmother back in Nebuchadnezzar's time because she's seen God work through Daniel. And so she reminds him of everything that Daniel's done um, and recommends the king get him. So she says, Daniel, the one who the king named Belshazzar was found to have an extraordinary spirit, knowledge, and intelligence, and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel, and he will give the interpretation. So she's, she acknowledges that he's done this before, that he, he's kind of like your last hope for figuring this out. If none of your guys can do it, let's try this guy. And we're going to see down here um, that Daniel actually comes, or that he the king actually calls him. So um, in verse 13, then Daniel was brought before the king. The king said to him, are you Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you, and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men and mediums were brought before me to read the inscription and make its interpretation known to me. But they could not give its interpretation. However, I have heard about you that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Therefore, if you can read this inscription and give me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and have the third highest position in the kingdom. So we see that Daniel takes the queen mother's advice. She ca he calls on Daniel, um, kind of slights him a little bit with the um, comment about being a Judean exile, basically saying he's a stranger in his own land, He's not fully accepting him into his culture. Um, but the king does recognize his gifts. He acknowledged his insight and intelligence and extraordinary wisdom. Um, and so where the other wise men failed, he is clinging on to hope with Daniel, <laughs> hoping that, that he can figure out what is going on with this hand writing on the wall, what this message means. He offers him the same rewards, to be third in command, um, to have... Uh, a cloak of purple and, and a gold chain. So one thing that's really interesting to me about, about this part is that even though Daniel is no longer a wise man, so he was a wise man with Nebuchadnezzar before, he's since kind of been um, left that position, he still has influence, um, at least with the queen, and Belshazzar is taking the queen's advice up on that. And so I just say to us today, maybe we have gifts that we're no longer currently using. Maybe we're retired or currently out of work. Um, maybe you were on staff of the church at one point. God can still use you, just like he's using Daniel. Um, God still sees you and, and can use your gifts in, in the church and in the community that we serve. So continuing on in the text, this is Daniel's response to the king. So after he had slighted him but still acknowledged his gifts, Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Your majesty, the most high God, gave sovereignty, greatness, glory, and majesty to your predecessor Nebuchadnezzar. Because of the greatness he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept anyone alive that he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. But when his heart was exalted and his spirit became arrogant, he was deposed from the, his royal throne and his glory was taken from him. 
He was driven out away from the people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. So Daniel is obedient to the king. He answers the call. He comes. He denies the reward. He says, I don't need to be the third ruler. I don't need the cloak. I don't need the gold chain, but I'm still going to help you. So he's not doing it for the reward. He does this despite the king using the sacred vessels. That obviously was a hit to him. He's going to be bothered by that and him calling him an exile. So despite the king really not making a fair uh, ask of him, he is still going to do it. And Daniel gives credit to God for Nebuchadnezzar's reputation um, and reminds him of his father's fall and redemption and basically just recaps everything we talked about last week um, from chapter 4. So Daniel really understood that he was a citizen in two kingdoms. He served God, um, like we said earlier, he kept his veggie diet and just has like a general attitude that's thankful to God and giving into God throughout this whole book. But he also integrated well into Babylon. He respected the king and received his call, even when he was persecuted, if you will. He took on the ask and he agreed to help. So we have that same call, that same call to be in the world but not of the world. Um, we, that, that manifests in many different ways um, with our culture. Obviously, we have to set boundaries, but there is a call for us to be faithful citizens, not just for the kingdom of heaven, but f- here on earth as well. Continuing on in verse 22, But you, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. The vessels from his house were brought to you, and as you and your nobles, wives, and concubines drank wine from them, you praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or understand. But you have not glorified the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life. Therefore, he sent the hand, and this writing was inscribed. So Daniel is calling out Belshazzar for his sin. He counters the story of his father who went off to live like an animal and repented with Belshazzar ignoring that and not worshiping God. And he's essentially saying, you should have learned. Like, you've seen this. Your father experienced what it's like to... to for that fall, and was redeemed when he turned his life to God and worshiped the Most High God. Instead, Belshazzar is disobedient, prideful. He defiles God and praises idols. And, and Daniel calls him out on it. And then, in a sort of roundabout way, Daniel then exalts God. So he's downplaying the idols that they're worshiping, but in a way is, is kind of distinguishing why God is so much better. Because he says that their idols cannot see or hear or understand where our God can. Our God sees us. He hears us. He understands us. That's such a difference between the idols of the world, whether it's money or, or whatever it is. And he, control, he holds our life in his hand and controls the course of our life. That, I mean, that I'm freaked out preaching, but there's like crazier things that are happening that we 
like don't feel in control over, right? There's things that happen. Um, the car breaks down, or something worse happens with the family emergency. God is holding it all together. And, and where we can't see where our life is going, God knows. And we, we can trust him knowing that he is the one who gave us life, gave us breath. And so we put um, our faith and our trust in him. So he claims these sins that Belshazzar has committed um, are why God is sending this hand to write this message on the wall. And Daniel warns against the worshiping of idols. So for us, like, we're not worshiping probably uh, wood or stone or all the various things, but there are idols in our lives that we're worshiping, whether it's intentional or not, whether it's social media or our spouse or something else that's not God. It could be good things. It could be things that God has given us, but if we're putting them above God, that's just not okay. He, he deserves the highest honor. All right, so let's get to the actual writing on the wall. We've got a lot of text here, um, but here we finally get to whatever it is that the hand is writing. And so we see, continuing down in verse 25, this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. What the heck does that mean? So he, we, we finally see what's written on the wall. And so all that was written on the wall were these very common words, right? Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And for what those words actually meant were numbered, weighed, divided. And so they could read that. They knew those words. But what do they actually mean? And so Daniel explains to them, your end is coming. Your days are numbered. You don't measure up. You were weighed on the scale and found insufficient. Your legacy is over. Your kingdom is going to be divided. And so there it is. Like that's, that's what the message was. That's the writing on the wall. That's what has inspired you know, our culture. Bad things are coming, right? That's not, there's like no hope in that message, right? Like everything, is, you're done. Like everything's gone. So let's, let's see how Belshazzar responds. Like what happens? Then Belshazzar gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. What? So his response is to reward Daniel. So Daniel just told him, like, dude, it's over. And he rewards him, which he said he was going to do, but Daniel denied it. So I don't, I don't know what's going on in his head. I don't know if he's trying to, like, pay Daniel and, like, to, like, make up for his sins, if he thinks that's going to work. But he doesn't repent. He doesn't turn over. And so I don't know if he thinks, I've got more time. You know, there's some other way I can do this. But for whatever reason... He doesn't repent. And we see here, here's, here's his fate. That very night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom at the age of 62. So the warning comes true. And it wasn't a year later. It wasn't down the road. It came true that night. The, the king is killed. So, and maybe this is a, a fulfillment of the promise from Daniel, or the prediction in Daniel 2, where the, kings are, or the kingdoms are crumbling, I don't know. 
But the, the writing on the wall came true essentially immediately. So it wasn't something that we should take lightly. So that's a, that's a heavy story, right? Like, that, that's us learning <laughs> God is punishing this, this king for not submitting. And that's, that's hard to hear, but let, let's think through and kind of apply this uh, to us today. And just to kind of recap the three main characters in the story, um, a New Albany, Sojourn New Albany pastor wrote this resource document that I used a lot of, and they, they had this in there that kind of summarized all the characters, and I think it's really good. So Nebuchadnezzar's story shows us that humility leads to repentance and wholeness. Daniel's story shows us that humility leads to gentle confidence. And Belshazzar's story shows us that pride leads to destruction. So there's some mystery involved here, right? We don't, we don't fully understand God. Um, his ways are better than our ways. And we just have to trust that he's good, right? It, it's sort of easy to see God humble Belshazzar. Um, it's harder for him to see him humble people we know. It's easy to see God humble big public figures that have fallen, like Harvey Weinstein um, or a pastor that we know and respect. It's harder to see people we know, though, like our coworkers or our pastors or our friends and family. When God humbles people, it's not so easy. So even in this story, we know that God is good, but when that comes closer to home, that's harder. So Daniel speaks this over the king, right, as he's humbling the proud. He, he says, your time is coming, or your end is coming, you don't measure up, your legacy is over. And we receive that same warning, right? We, our, our days are numbered. Like, spoiler alert, we're all going to die. We, we don't measure up. There, there are things in our life that that we just can't do, that, it's, that God is, in, is the only one who can do. We're never going to be good enough. Only Jesus could. Our legacy is not going to last. We, it may last for a time when we're gone, but in the end, eventually our legacy will fade. So there's a really uncanny parallel in Job. Shout out to my wife who found this. Um, Job 31, 3, 6. Doesn't disaster come to the unjust and misfortune to the evildoers? Does he not see my ways and number all my steps? If I have walked in falsehood or my foot has rushed to deceit, let God weigh me on accurate scales and he will recognize my integrity. I mean, it would, it would be an understatement to say Job, Job was humbled. Um, we saw everything ripped from him. But he saw the value in humility. And so my, one of my asks for you today is, what is your writing on the wall? What is God calling you to humble? What in your life will lead to destruction? We all have vices. We all have things that, that distract us from God. And so use this message that seems hard and difficult to evaluate your own life. I definitely did it myself. Um, it's hard not to. But just think. Where is God calling me to humble? All right, so now I've got some hope for us. There's a lot of kind of downer stuff that we just talked about, but there is good news, right? So this, 
this isn't the end. So while God humbles the proud, God exalts the humble. And, and humility is not just an escape from destruction, right? We're not just doing this because we don't want destruction. But humility leads to a better life. Humility leaves, leads to the good life with God. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So God lifts up the humble. <clears throat> and our humility leads to confidence and repentance and wholeness. We see this here um, through Nebuchadnezzar's story. And so while Daniel is warning the king against trusting in gods that do not see or hear or understand and not glorifying the God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life, our God, the God we serve, the God we worship today, this morning, he sees us and he hears us and he understands us. He is not an object. He is living, breathing God who loves us. And the good life we receive through this humility it is with a God that cares deeply about us. It's the God who gives us our very life and breath, like Daniel said. He controls the whole course of our lives. He is trustworthy. He is um, worth, it is worth it for us to follow because he knows where everything's going. There is no question for him. And thinking about that, through to Jesus' work on the cross. God cares so much about us, even so that he humbled himself and took on the death, life, death, resurrection that we see through his work on the cross so we could be exalted with him. So our life will end, but Jesus will live forever. You will never measure up. I will never measure up. But Jesus always measures up. Our legacy will fade. Your legacy will fade. But Jesus' kingdom is eternal. If we humble ourselves, we put our faith in Jesus, we experience this new life with God. We can live forever with Jesus. We can measure up with Jesus. And we can enjoy God's eternal kingdom with Jesus. And that's why every week we gather, we celebrate communion. Because um, God did this for us. We celebrate the work he did on the cross. His life, death, and resurrection made it possible for us to have this good life with him. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took cup of wine and said, this is my blood shed for you. This is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. Take this in remembrance of me. So for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we're pronouncing Jesus' coming.